Micah 6, verses 1 to 8. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Look at you guys, real people, no camera, man, happy Father's Day to me and you. It's not just about me today, it's about you too. Um, I, uh, today is bittersweet as I am celebrated as a father, but I also grieve the loss of my dad after two Father's Day. Uh, but uh, I want to take a moment and honor a father in my life, uh, Larry. Uh, he is my father-in-law. And he loves me like a son, and I love him like a father. And it's Larry and Linda's anniversary today as well. And so, Larry and Linda, we love you. I honor you today. I'm so grateful for you both, and we cherish you. And so, um, so I want to pray for our fathers right now. Uh, if you're a dad, would you stand? And uh, I'm going to pray for you uh, today. So uh, stand with me. Father, thank you for these men who bear your name, uh, the name Father. Lord, as we bear your name, we know that we will never live up to it. <laughs> but Lord, we also know that you give us all the help and grace that we need to strive to be a father like you by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, use us in this world to redeem the lost and broken role of father so that we can point people to our heavenly father who is good and gracious and loving god help us raise generations unto you whether old or young lord help us raise generations unto you we acknowledge that responsibility and we need you in jesus name amen you may be seated thank you fellas um so, as we regather here today, we acknowledge that, as Josiah said, it, it's been 16 weeks since we've been here. And a lot has gone on in the world in the last 16 weeks, hasn't it? 
Uh, it seemed like kind of a rush that week that everything shut down. Uh, it was the week of spring break. I think it was Sunday, March 15th or around there that we had decided that we're not going to have service in here. And then uh, from there on out, it was decided for us that we wouldn't have service in here. Uh, and then the whole world events that transpired in those past 15 weeks have been like rapid fire, haven't they? They've just come, come, come. And it feels like sometimes, so, some of us just want to feel like we, we're hiding, we can hide in a hole. But we've also found that while we're at home, we kind of are in a hole and we can't hide. <laughs> we're exposed. And the other thing about not having church for 15 weeks is that we have had church, right? So I, I just want to state the obvious. The church isn't about a building. And yes, the church is defined by the gathering of God's people, but the church gathers in spite of that, and we have. So we are the church. But we also know that there's been a lot of different distortions of information that have kind of consumed us over the last 15 weeks. And so it's left us disoriented, it's left us confused, and it's left us to be crying out to God right now. So I can tell you, although I knew this Sunday would be, be awkward coming here, I was still eager to be here. <laughs> um, by the way, if you need to take a breath, just pull down your mask. It's totally fine. Like if you need to just, that's, you're good. When we're social distancing and things like that, and we're getting near each other, put those masks on. But if you need to take a, a breather, go for it. Uh, I know I did. Uh, it was like, <sighs> so anyway, sorry about that. Um, yes, I'll make it even more awkward. That's my job. Um, but as we gather together today, uh, we acknowledge that we come under the authority of God's word. We come under the beautiful, the precious, the powerful authority of God's word. And as we come under the authority of God's word, we're submitting our lives to that word. And we're also submitting the events that have transpired over the last 15 weeks. And this is why Crosspoint right now is doing a series on racial reconciliation. Because I don't know if you've noticed what I've noticed, but by and large, what has been absent in the conversations that have taken place is an absent of God's word and his truth. And so today we're going to ask, what does he say about this? How does he call us to respond? How does he call us to feel? How does he call us to walk? How does he call us to live? And so the big idea for this series is that we would build bridges for racial reconciliation. That's what we want to do. We want to, as a church, be bridge builders for racial reconciliation. So as the, trans, the, the events transpired over the last 15 weeks and the various videos emerged and the various voices have cried out and have been heard, I couldn't help but think of, of what the famous theologian Bob Dylan said. <laughs> he said, Broken bottles, broken plates, broken switches, broken gates, broken stories, broken hearts. The world is filled with broken hearts. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm mixing up the language of this. Streets are filled with broken hearts. Broken words never meant to be spoken. Everything is 
broken. Now, for 2020, many of us would say we've come a long way as a nation and as a world. But all you need is this little 15-week window to see that still everything is broken. Everything is broken. And the only thing that can bring true reconciliation is a work of God, our Father. And as we submit to Him for racial reconciliation, we acknowledge that I play a part. Micah chapter 6, verse 8, it's our theme verse for the next three weeks. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? There's real clarity there. He has shown you. There's no question about what God is asking us to do. And it's a wonderful summary of the Old Testament. In fact, many would say it's a wonderful summary of all of the Scriptures. Now, as I begin this series, I want to think of three guiding principles that I think will help us and lay the groundwork for us in the weeks to come. But mark down these three guiding principles as guiding principles for your life as you seek to build a bridge for racial reconciliation. The first guiding principle is God's Word speaks. That's the first guiding principle. God's Word says something about it. In the tensions of our world, as you read the Bible, the Bible is honest with its history. And that there have been situations and stories of racial disparity and brokenness in the, in the Scriptures. In fact, you read that the Apostle Paul dealt with the Jew-Gentile disparity and differences. And he dealt with that through the Word of God. He says, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, we're all children of God in Christ Jesus. And so we know that the word of God speaks to this. It is not silent. The second thing that we have to do, and this is a really important piece of this conversation right now, is we have to humanize the conversation. Humanize the conversation. This is more than political talking points. Do you hear me, cross point? This is more than the left and the right and social media, okay? We're talking about people. In fact, the fire that ignited this was a man who was kneeled on, and the breath left his lungs while he cried out, I can't breathe. So let's humanize the conversation and say, this is about real people, real life, real stories, and we are going to have a conversation about humanity. And the third thing we need to do is to know that the church brings redemption. The church brings the redemption. There are some people that would argue the church has no business being here in the middle of this conversation. I would argue contrary. We're not getting anywhere unless the church gets in the middle of it. Here's why. Because the church has the tool the tools necessary to deal with it. The church has the Savior, the Savior necessary to deal with it. And the church has the Spirit of God so that we can walk in His truth. 
And so as we acknowledge those three things, I want to begin the conversation with you. So uh, look in the book of Micah. Do me a favor, turn it to chapter one. We're not going to focus on primarily just the reading of Scott. We're going to do a 50,000 foot flyover of Micah. And I'm going to show you the theme of justice in the book of Micah and tell you that that theme of justice in the book of Micah is one of the major themes of all of the scriptures. And we should be a people that care about justice. Hello, because God cares about justice, right? We should be a people that care about justice in this world and the injustices of this world because God cares so much about it. So Micah, by the way, was preaching into a world that Bob Dylan could have spoken into with that song, right? Everything was broken. Broken politicians, broken religious leaders, broken people, a broken world. And Michael was called to be a prophet of justice in an unjust world. And when you open the book to chapter 1, you see who Micah's speaking to if you look at verse 2. He says, hear you peoples, all of you. <laughs> there's, no one, there's no one who he leaves out here. Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. And let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. He's saying God is watching. He's taking account. He sees what's going on. He cares about this. And he is trying to cut through the clutter of our lives so we would pay attention. We would hear what he has to say. And this is why I think it's really important for us to look into Micah's context and to look into our own and to say that, you know, this whole thing is very confusing, isn't it? It's really hard to determine what's what. It's really hard to determine, you know, what's right and what's wrong because there's a lot of different voices that are cluttering the conversation. This is why I really think that it's important for us to turn to the Word of God because there's a lot of different talking heads that are going to send you in certain ways. And we are not disciples of network news, nor are we disciples of social media. We're disciples of the living Word of God. And when God speaks, we as His people, we listen, we hear what He has to say because he has to say something about it. And as you open the, the pages of Micah, you see that some of the injustices that Micah deals with, it starts with chapter 1. In chapter 1, verse 7, he preached against the idolatry of Israel. In chapter 2, he preaches against a refusal to listen to faithful preaching. He preaches against seizing land from the weak and giving it to the strong. He preaches against the mistreatment of immigrants in chapter 2, verse 8. He says, But lately my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. They're taking advantage of those who came through trustingly and they were stealing from them. They were stealing the inheritance of widows and orphans. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says, And I said, Hear, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? He begins this indictment upon the leaders. He's saying, You who are at the top, you who are in charge, is it not for you to know justice? 
And then he unpacks this indictment. He says leaders are taking bribes. Judges were taking bribes. Religious leaders were taking bribes. bribes, And pastors and preachers were taking bribes. Everybody was corrupt. And this circle of corruption has been so intertwined with God's people that it caused a lot of chaos and confusion. In fact, one author and commentator says of the people in the time of Micah that Micah was preaching to, he said they identified more with the nation of Israel versus being children of God. And so their loyalties were more with the nation of Israel than being the children of God. And then in chapter 4, we see the strong theme of salvation emerge after the the indictment of judgment comes. I'm going to read to you these next five verses. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of mountains. And it shall be lifted above the hills, and people shall flow to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall come forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes from strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore, but they shall sit Every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all of the peoples walk each in the name of its God. But we, we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. And so the imagery that Micah begins is this prophecy of the consummation of all things to where this broken world is reconciled and made right in the salvation of Jesus Christ. And that God will get glory and that God will get praise and that God's people will be reconciled one to the other. And then in chapter 6 you see the summary of the book. As we read in verse 8, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. So there's these three themes that emerge in the book of Micah. The theme of just judgment, the theme of salvation, and the theme of reconciliation. Now let's take a step back as we've looked at the context of the book of Micah. Let's look at it with our world today. We too are living in a broken world. I don't have to say that, but I'm going to say it again and again. We too are living in a world with broken leaders and politicians. We too are living in a world where people, the people of God are not listening to the word of God. We too are seeing the injustice of this world as a symptom of a problem with the black-white divide is not just injustice, but racial injustice. And that racial injustice demands that we seek reconciliation first with the Lord And then with one another. So listen to me. In 30 minutes that I have this morning. We'll see if it goes for 30 minutes. (laughs) In the 30 minutes that I have this morning. We're not going to be able to unpack everything. 
related to the injustices of the world around us. But let me say this. We would be very naive to think that in the 400 years since slaves were brought to this land, and that when America became a nation and slavery continued, and that even in the Emancipation and Proclamation, slaves were free. They weren't really free. And even in Jim Crow laws, in the Civil Rights era, in the 50 years, listen, only 50 years that transpired from civil rights to today, some would argue that it's even less, and they're probably right. And in those years, we have not seen the reconciliation that's necessary because injustices still exist. Dr. Carl Ellis is an author that I've learned a lot from, from regarding this. He says, if you look at the core values of this country, they were essentially biblical. But the problem with this country is that we never lived up to those core values. Let me read from you this line. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now that line has been there since the founding of our nation. And you can't help but see that the words of Dr. Carl Ellis ring true. That yes, we were founded on biblical principles, but we failed them from the start. And the question is, is how do we recover them? How do we recover them? And what's the part that we play? So part two is we see Micah's example. The first thing we see in Micah's example is that he saw his own sin. Verse Chapter 7, verse 9, he says, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me, he will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. One of the things that I love about the book of Micah is Micah does not escape his own culpability in the problem. He sees his own sin. He sees that he has sinned against God. And in the sin against God, he sinned against others. And he knows that he needs vindication, but the vindication doesn't come from himself. It would have been easy for Micah to just dismiss the injustice in the, that was going on, that it didn't have to do with him, and it didn't deal with him. But the reason why Micah was a prophet is because he was led by the Spirit of, of the Lord to bring clarity to those injustices. And if he were to see those injustices clearly, he had to start here with himself. And church, I don't know to what degree you've entered into and sought the Lord on the part that you play in this. But let me tell you a little bit about my story. I would have looked at the story going on today and would say, that doesn't have anything to do with me. But yet I'm a pastor and I'm a preacher of the word of God and I would be naive to think that 
This is something that we could be silent about. And so in much of my life, I have seen these injustices. I would acknowledge not even clearly, but I've ignored them or I've pushed them aside. And so part of the way that I'm seeing my own sin is that I can't be silent. And then I'm also acknowledging that there's a worldview that I have that's limited. And we all have a limited worldview, okay? We don't have to repent of, of having a limited worldview. But what we do have to repent of in our limited worldview is the degree that we like to keep it limited. When God is trying to stretch us and grow us and we are, and we are being challenged to see things differently and we are ignoring that or pushing it aside or as Romans says, suppressing the truth, then we are the ones that are the cause of injustice. And we are the ones that are called to repent. Now I'm not talking about white guilt here. <laughs> it's not about you feeling bad for the color of your skin or me feeling bad for the color of my skin. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves all the children. But listen here. What I am talking about is seeing that if we are going to build the bridges towards racial, reconcili racial reconciliation, it starts right here. It starts with you, and it starts with me. And we, like Micah, can acknowledge that. Jesus preaches this word to the Pharisees who, man, they did all the right things. They, they tithed from their spice rack. Look, look with me at, on Jesus' indictment to the Pharisees. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint, and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. The problem wasn't their personal piety. Oh, they were personally pious, man. They were in the temple whenever the temple was open. And they were so serious about tithing that they tithed from their cumin spice. But they neglected the social disorder around them. And they sought to retain their own power and control, even if it meant that others were harmed in the process. And Jesus calls them hypocrites. He calls them whitewashed tombs later on because they were just good-looking dead people. God had not transformed them. God had not saved them. They were walking in death in their words we're death. We have to see this in ourselves. Where might we think we're walking in holiness while neglect, neglecting the, the weightier matters? Second thing we see from Micah is that he got up, and, up close and personal with injustice. Micah didn't have an ivory tower office above all of Jerusalem and just look from afar. Micah got down deep into people's lives. He got up close and personal with the injustice that was going on. In verse 8 of chapter 1, it says, For this I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. Micah was saying, Here is what I see, and it's causing me to lament. And while the jackals and ostriches, I don't really know exactly what that means. 
<laughs> but my, my only guess could be is that there's a wailing and mourning that's very evident. And that was evident in Micah's life. He would do whatever he could to draw attention to the mistreatment and injustices that were taking place in his land so that things would change. And here at Crosspoint, I want to challenge you to get close to injustices. Now, there's a lot of terminologies or phrases that you might have disagreed with because in a lot of ways, they're, they're very politically charged uh, or the meanings are, are hard to define or understand. But my challenge to you on these phrases, I'm going to say them in a moment, is that you wouldn't necessarily listen to the phrases or you wouldn't find that your defenses go up right away, but you would listen to the narrative behind them. Systemic racism, white privilege, Black Lives Matter. Those phrases have been phrases that have been said, and they have many different meanings. But, but my challenge to you is that in those phrases, there's a narrative behind them. And if we are going to be able to serve people of color the way that God has called us to, we have to hear the narrative behind the phrases and allow God to define them for us. Let me give you just an example of this in my life and in some of the relationships that I have. Uh, it was a few weeks ago, I went on a prayer walk with uh, several churches in downtown Orlando from Church Street, uh, from Camping World Stadium down to um, uh, Amway Center. And here's some people that I was with. Um, in the one picture, you have the guy with the glasses, the white guy with the glasses. His name's Mike, Michael uh, Graham. Uh, Michael Graham is a pastor that I've known for 10 years. He's an associate pastor of a church in Maitland. And Michael Graham would tell you that uh, he is as conservative as it gets. If you look at him, you think, yep, he's about right. That's conservative as it gets. Now, Michael was there with his two adopted black children, London and Joey. And I remember talking with Michael about some of his past and the way he viewed the world and why he views it differently now. And these words struck me. He says, I don't have the luxury of looking at the world right now with predominantly white viewpoint. He says, because my children need me to see the world differently. So when he talked about that, I hear that he's beginning to understand, and I'm trying to begin to understand, the disparities that exist in our world between the black, white, and divide. And that if he's called to be a father to these children, he's going to have to fight for equality and justice in the way that he wants his children to grow up in our world with freedom, just like you and I do our children. And he got up close and personal with that. Another friend of mine is uh, Mike Aitchison, who's right in between us. Mike is a pastor at Christ United Fellowship just down the road from us. Mike has been a friend for quite some time. In fact, the last five years since we lived down uh, in downtown Orlando, our family has gotten very close to him. And several years ago, Josiah and I sat at a lunch table with him. And we just asked him the question, Mike, we want to get to know you. And we think part of getting to know you is hearing your story. Like, what is it like to be a black man in America? And he took a deep breath and he said, man, that's a loaded question. And you could see in his eyes this reservation and wondering if 
we did really care for him. And then he shared to us about certain instances of being profiled. Certain instances of difficulty that he's had. Certain instances that as a white man I couldn't necessarily identify with, but I had to hear him out. And as my wife and I had dinner with him on Thursday night and his wife Lucy, we laughed, we laughed and we laughed. Because there's this beautiful work of reconciliation that God has done in us. And we trust each other. I need him to help me. He needs me to help him. If we're going to reach Orlando for the glory of God. And the last story I'll tell you is the story of a friend of mine who, when he was about 19 years old, was, uh, was in prison for a crime he didn't commit. He was home from college and at one point he was at a gas station in the morning and later on at that gas station someone got shot and so they found him and they put him in a lineup and the victim who was shot identified him as the one who shot him he told me he said Ryan I had never held a gun in my whole life this is in the Conway area by the way I had never held a gun in my whole life, and here I was in a lineup, and I was put into jail, six months house arrest. I just came home from college, and so I couldn't go back to school. And he said, good news was, I was innocent, and the court knew it. And I heard those words. He said, but I never got to go back to college. My whole life was rearranged. And as he shared with me that story across from the table, we both wept. We cried together because we were able to experience the beauty of God's reconciling work without defenses put up, without guns drawn, but our hearts engaged with one another in the reality of the world that we live in so that we could truly seek one another's welfare. And then the last thing we see in Micah's life here is that Micah had the spirit-filled courage to act. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgressions and to Israel his sins. Micah was so compelled by his proximity towards the people who were experiencing injustice that he had to do something he had to do something he didn't just listen he didn't just see his own sin but he began to work on people's behalf now when i get into this conversation we get overwhelmed don't we because it's like how can i make a difference like where do i even start let me submit to you that where you start is within the humanity of the conversation Get close with someone who has a story and hear them out. Maybe you see the story online. There's plenty of stories online. Maybe there's someone near you that you could reach out to and you could say, hey, how can I, how can you help me? How can I help you? How can we live in this world of tensions and say you matter? I've experienced that even over the last several weeks in navigating this issue with compassion and grace is that you know when you tell someone they matter they look right back in your eyes and they say you matter too 
And that's the world that God wants to bring back together. This is the mending work of God. Is he brings this back together. But we need the courage to do so. And part of the courage to do so means that we look beyond the stereotypes. We look beyond the, the, the political talking points. And we look into the humanity of the people that God has right next to us. And we acknowledge the imago Dei, the image of God in them. And we seek their welfare. And they seek ours. And this is the beautiful work of redemption in the church. Which, by the way, is part of our mission. And that's where we see Micah's mission. If you look at Micah 6, 1 through 8 that, that Scott read, you see that God is addressing his people. Now, thank God he addresses his people. Because when God speaks to his people, even though he's giving them judgment, it means that God is seeking their repentance. I love it because God wants to be reconciled to his people. And the first thing that we have to acknowledge in our mission is that while we are called to be agents of reconciliation in one another, it's first in God, vertical, that we first have to look to him because a lot of the problems of our world are trying to be solved by putting band-aids on the wounds to the left and the right and the people around us. But unless we realize that we've got a God problem and the chasm is like, it, it, it is huge, like the Grand Canyon, then we will never see the reconciliation that God desires. Then we will never truly love. History says it. The Bible repeats it. The oppressed will one day become the oppressors. And the oppressors will one day become the oppressed. And there's this inner weaving theme of judgment in the scriptures that says that we can't fix it unless we see our relationship with God is broken. And I want to point you to the reconciling God right now. He takes broken people and he puts them back together. He sets captives free. He touches the untouchable. He loves the unlovable. He heals the incurable. He lifts up the downcast. He restores the brokenhearted. The dead, he brings them back to life. The defeated, he gives them victory. The poor, he makes them wealthy. The weary, he gives them strength. The unforgivable, he gives them his pardon. The irredeemable, he redeems. There's a power in this book, Micah, and it, and it rests in the name of Micah himself. Do you know what his name means? His name means, who is like our God? Who is like our God? This is what he does. This is his business. There is no one like him. Who is like our God? Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And how does Micah point to the ultimate reconciliation of the people of God with God himself? Well, he gives us a prophecy of Jesus Christ. In verses 4 and 5 of chapter 5, he says, And he shall stand as a shepherd, his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of his name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of all the earth, and he shall be their peace, their shalom, their reconciliation. When we fight injustice, we do it not like the ways of the world. 
We do it with Christ as our peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall have peace. That we are the sons of God and daughters of God. And we fight for the peace and shalom of Scripture. As I preach today, I realize that there's a lot of complexities to this. Many of you uh, are involved in this conversation in different ways. In fact, even in our congregation, we have a police officer who I've prayed for daily since this has all hit the fan. And it's in those complexities that we offer the peace of the Lord and we offer the clarity of Scripture and our hope in the gospel. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to unpack what does it mean to walk in mercy or kindness and then what does it walk, mean to walk in humility? I'm asking a friend of mine. He's an African-American pastor, church planner in Leesburg. He's going to come preach to us in two weeks about taking the conversation forward with humility. But listen, church, who is like our God? Who is like him? That brings about true, eternal, and everlasting reconciliation. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that we are, God, people of justice and mercy and humility. God, people of justice and mercy and humility because that's who you've made us to be. That's who you've remade us to be in your image. That when we accepted Jesus... Lord, you changed us in such a way that your spirit has put in us a burden for racial reconciliation. And so thank you, Lord, that right now we have this opportunity. Lord, help us not shrink back. Help us press in. Help us look with your eyes and see as you've called us to. God, help us to see our sin Help us to get close to injustice, Lord, and help us, Father, to have courage to act. And Lord, we acknowledge that you are the reconciling God. You are the one who set the captives free. God, you are the one who have established the biblical principles of our nation. Lord, restore us, O oh God, to them. Help us walk in your ways. Help us, Lord, live as the people you've called us to live. For our generation and the generation that comes after us or until Christ comes again. In Jesus' name, the church says together, amen.